Bottom line, up front. Republican National Committee Finance Chair charged with crimes reserved for foreign spies. Right-wing terror group in Michigan arrested for plot to kill governor and start civil war. Also targeted, Virginia governor. Intelligence agency Treasury FinCEN discovered Mike Flynn took wire transfers from foreign dictatorship. And record early voting, also accompanied by legal wrangling and technical interference in several states on the run-up to the 2020 election. I'm Eric Garland. After 20 years delivering intelligence to world leaders, a mobster owned by Russia took the White House, and I started giving daily intelligence briefs directly to the people. This is Game Theory Today, your source for global events, clear analysis, and appropriate profanity. Guys, it's time for some Game Theory. The general mood out there. Guys, I am not going to front. And I'm going to kind of ad-lib this. Man, I'm tired. You guys tired? Uh, My general sense is we're in a moment of confluence, of like blink and you miss it. There are so many different stories that you could be tracking. Uh, I don't care how powerful your uh, processor and memory and storage are, if you take the metaphor, how much ADHD you have or um, how much coffee you drink. There's just not enough time in the day or energy to track all the stories that are converging. My general sense Uh, Having followed uh, all the threads of geopolitics, corruption, economics for years as part of uh, my work in competitive intelligence, uh, but especially intensely the last three, four years, you know, since uh, that whole Trump thing happened, we're still moving in a good direction. There's lots of good news. Uh, In general, we're seeing bad guys nervous and good guys ascendant. We're seeing bad behavior punished, and uh, good behavior when we need it most from leaders uh, old and new. And all that's pretty fun. But uh, I just wanted to start today's show maybe uh, sympathizing or empathizing with you. If you're just kind of worn out, uh, we got, you know, we got to drink some uh, mental and spiritual Gatorade here and get back in the race. We haven't got time to uh, flag or fail as Winston Churchill would have told us, you know, we are in the last few weeks of a major election and man, there's so much we have to fight from hidden terrorist cells that want to come out and stop us from enforcing the law to uh, making sure that we can all vote. That involves uh, lawsuits and courts and uh, technical struggles and all that. And then there's just uh, thinking forward to healing our society. Uh, not just in the United States where this podcast is being made, but all over the world, all that's going on. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are realizing that this is not the end of anything. Even if we get rid of a particular politician, we have to come to terms with the bigger story that this happened because of many reasons, not just one villain, but a lot of, uh, a lot of nefarious sources of power and, trends that all came together. Uh, The intellectual uh, policy thinker Claire Berlinski, she's out of Paris. She's been with a number of think tanks. I'm forgetting where she's employed uh, currently, but uh, a wonderful thinker about uh, political science. She's been looking at the Trump era, and she had a thread this past weekend I found really important that was about the emotional impact of getting rid of Trump and how it would really be across the board in the United States. It would not just be one group or another, not one group exultant and the other dejected. 
um, but that all parts of the political spectrum would would suffer some form of narcissistic injury. Uh, if you're anti-Trump and the guy goes goes down and goes out in handcuffs the way everyone's wanted, um, then you're likely to still be be saddled with the emotional weight of the fact that this kind of thing could happen in the United States, that we could lose our way, that, you know, this was not just a, a random group of, of people who took us over somehow. This was the long terminus of a, a bunch of political trends, social trends. We did this to ourselves. Yes, it can happen here. And as uh, Ms. Berlinski pointed out, um, that this this wasn't just foisted on us by a tiny minority. And yes, there was foreign help, but we did this to ourselves. And that this is not just reserved for what we thought of as third world dictatorships, you know, many of which had old and wise cultures too. But that it can happen here to us. And America is often uh, described as an adolescent nation. And uh, as all of you who've been through adolescence know, usually there's something painful that happens that wakes you up. And that's when you become a real adult. So if that is collectively true, then uh, perhaps... Uh, this is America growing up. Education is expensive and uh, it sometimes hurts and we may be getting it. For those who are going to get rid of Trump uh, and supported him, as the true measure of the atrocities come across, there's going to be, according to Ms. Berlinski, and I totally back up her, her forecast here, a tremendous embarrassment and loss and uh, just trauma that um, that those people were duped, but they were so willingly in many cases. Were they deceived? Yes. Were there foreign powers helping out with propaganda? Yes. Are they still adults that made that choice? Yup. And here's the, the point I think we're all going to have to deal with, and it's really good that we have some leaders saying it's about us coming together. We can do it. That's one of the nice messages from Joe Biden. There's nothing we can't do if we do it together. And that's great, but I, I thought the counterpoint from Ms. Berlinski was wonderful and terrifying, of course, that, um, yes, it's all in this together, but we're also going to be traumatized by all this. That's not going away. And uh, it's a, a good thing to get a head start on what people are going to be feeling like because we've got a lot of work to do together, um, one way or the other. So it's good to, for our intellectual leaders and our political leaders to go, well, what will the average American be going through? No matter who they supported before, how are they going to handle the truth? How are they going to pull together? Just wake up in the morning. How many people are going to be getting hammered or you know, turn into chemicals or anger, or domestic violence to get away from the, the surge of emotions when this all comes out? That remains to be seen. And I think uh, the quality of our leadership and uh, the quality of our ability to come together, I, I, I think uh, will guide that process. But it's not one that any of us should take lightly. And uh, that if there's a moment of exultation when Trump goes out, I hope it is quickly replaced by the adult seriousness of what remains for us. And with that, it is time to catch up on the news with the PDB, the Profanity Daily Brief. Elliot Broidy charged 
pleads guilty to violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Man, this couldn't be too much bigger a deal. Uh, Elliot Broidy was one of the finance chairman of the RNC in 2016, uh, that election cycle that brought us the current executive branch. They were a very colorful lot, to say the least. Now, let's go down the list and who they had. Michael Cohen, Trump's fixer, a major figure in the Russian mafia out of New York City. Sheldon Adelson, global casino magnate, a money laundering <clears throat> suspect in various places, partner of the Chinese Communist Party in Macau, deeply involved with Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been indicted for many felonies in Israel. Then you've got Steve Wynn, another global casino magnate with Macau and China, Las Vegas, all that. Our friend Louis DeJoy, the post, post office ruiner, the totally not mob trucking logistics guy and democracy rapist, and Elliot Broidy. That's the fivesome from that crew. Uh, Broidy is perhaps most famous for his seven-figure abortion and non-disclosure payoff to a Playboy model that he impregnated. Uh, Brady recently trued up his patriotism with his commitment to family values and has now pleaded guilty to conspiracy to defraud the United States and failing to register as a foreign agent on behalf of Malaysia in one of the world's largest money laundering scandals. So let's just get the pattern straight here. The Republican National Committee that got Trump and many others elected was financed between two Vegas and China casino guys, a mob lawyer tied straight to the Russian Red Mafia, through like Ukraine, a guy who's paying for abortions, all that has been utterly eclipsed by charges of violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act and connections to some very unsavory characters. Uh, so the money for the 2016 RNC came from literal mobsters and spies pretty much exclusively. So just let that roll around in your brain pan a little bit. So who is Elliot Broidy? When you research the Trump-Russia affair, there are so many names and interconnections, you forget that these are just people that came from somewhere and usually did something for work to get to this position. So uh, I'd heard Broidy's name uh, a zillion times coming up in, in um, connection to all of this investigation, so I went looking around, checked his bio out, and uh, he's a guy who was born somewhere and uh, came from things and now finds himself here pleading guilty to Farah. Elliot Broidy is a California guy. He grew up in Los Angeles, California, the son of Sherman and Dorothy Broidy. Elliot's dad fought in the Pacific in World War II and was, was awarded the Purple Heart. After the war, he got a master's degree in education from the University of Southern California in 1956. Sherman was an educator for 30 years. He derived much satisfaction from his work in real estate, uh, constructing apartment buildings. Broidy, or Elliot Broidy, the son, is a CPA by trade and started we with the now defunct for reasons of Enron, Arthur Anderson. One of his clients was Glenn Bell of Taco Bell, who hired him to manage Bell's personal investments. In 1991, Broidy founded his own investment firm. Now, this is where he starts pop popping up into the news in uh, ways that are a little dodgy here. Uh, in the year 2002, he helped the New York State Common Pension Fund to invest in companies in Israel. In 2009, he pleaded guilty to a felony for essentially bribing the comptroller of New York State, Alan Havizi. The gifts to the comptroller included trips to Israel, payouts, and investment in a film being produced 
by the brother of the chief investment officer of the New York State Retirement Fund. So hold it right there. Footnote the Israel connection, film financing, and pension hubs. That's a major hub right there. When you start looking at dirty stuff, you're going to find those activities kind of connected. Uh, when you're doing this analysis, you get stuff like that, like horse racing. Huh. <laughs> there's there's things that don't seem like they should connect uh, to larger, uglier things, but uh, so often do. So film financing and pension funds sound nice enough, but just, just place a footnote there. Broidy owns the private security company, Circinus LLC, which provides services to the United States and other governments. The company has hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts with the United Arab Emirates. In 2018, Broidy intended to take a business trip with George Nader. You may remember uh, he was, uh, Nader was another financier, GOP operative, who had pleaded out for 10 years in prison for what he should have gotten about 10,000 years for in trafficking minors for sex and uh, some of the grossest uh, media on his computer possible. Um, so Broidy was going to take a business trip with this solid citizen to meet with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia in 2018 to sell the prince a $650 million security contract with Circinus. Uh, the plan fell apart when the FBI agents took Nader in for questioning upon his arrival at Dulles Airport. So if you've ever read uh, Nader's story and were wondering why they picked that day to pick him up on his cell phone and get the gross child media off his cell phone, that's what he was doing. He was screwing around in Saudi Arabia with the, the princes there with his buddy Elliot Broidy. So the, whatever conspiracy is going on there, the child abuse stuff opened up the doors to that, and, and Nader only got 10 years for what he did. So probably a lot more story there. After Trump took office, Broidy went full-on agent of foreign powers nuts. He obtained defense contracts worth more than $200 million from the UAE, which included plans to provide an Eric Prince-style private military. Uh, Broidy offered an inauguration tickets to Denis Sassoon Gesso, a Congolese strongman. Just generally, if you're, if you're in the United States and you're working with anyone whose job title is a strongman, I mean, probably you've taken a left turn somewhere in life. And uh, he arranged for an Angolan politician to meet with Republican senators. Um, and if you know what's going on in Angola with corruption there, you've got Isabel dos Santos, who's the, uh, the richest woman in Africa with all these diamonds and uh, Swiss banking and watches. And it's, it's just a whole mess of corrupt everything. Anyhow, apparently there are GOP senators who, for some reason, need to meet with Angolan politicians for policy, this and that. Okay. So anyways, this guy Broidy is a foreign agent. He gets paid by other powers to do things that other powers like. That's FARA violations. So let's get to the indictment and guilty plea. So Broidy, uh, remember, who's at the top of the GOP doing all the money stuff? Pleaded to a one count of 18 U.S. Code, subsection 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States of America, uh, which is kind of a catch-all um, uh, you know, indictment, a catch-all criminal charge here, but the specific charges are for violations of 22 U.S. Code, subsections 612 and 618, failing to register as a foreign agent and acting as a foreign agent, respectively. 
So basically, uh, subsection 371 is you're up to something uh, the United States wouldn't like as a country. And uh, subsection 612 and 618 are, you know, you're sneaking around basically as a spy. And when you see FARA charges, never forget these were made for Nazis and Russian spies on U.S. soil in the run-up to World War II. So it's pretty hard to catch a ferret charge. They're not easy. you got to be up to something, right? Um, this is not taking foreign direct foreign investment. That happens. I mean, we've got a ton of Canadian money down, down here uh, investing in stuff. That doesn't, if you're doing business with Canada and they're putting their money down here and somehow you, you know, collect a salary, that's not necessarily a ferret charge. Um, you know, global business in general, not necessarily a fair charge. Um, being on the payroll of foreigners to change U.S. policy for anybody except Americans, that's what gets you in trouble when you basically swap teams. So that's what they're charging Brody with, and he pleaded guilty. These are monumentally serious charges, and they're against another finance chair of the Republican Party, during the time of the Trump campaign, under former Trump chief of staff, Rents Priebus. So to sum up all the 2016 finance chairs, you've got one Russian mafia guy, two China casino guys, postal service ruiner guy, and full-on agent of hostile foreign powers guy. So far, who knows what the superseding indictments are going to be. Uh, they paid for the current executive branch, the one that is essentially acting as an agent of foreign powers itself these days. The trend is undeniable, and it is particularly ominous for the Republican Party. Now, let's get something straight here. Look, it's politics. Since the ancient Greeks, nobody thinks it's straight-up public service with nothing shady going on. I.e., you know, nobody has expected perfection from, from politicians ever to over 2,000 years. And I occasionally read uh, translations of ancient Greek texts about their politics, and they're complaining about the same stuff. So we go very slow. At, at, uh, at progress. However, that said, this crew of Republicans at the very top of the National Committee, they're not just shady. They are the shade. They're the dark. They didn't just chip in some ugly cash to get a favor. They're running the political party that is in charge of the Senate and that is appointing Supreme Court justices. You know, And as soon as Trump got elected, a lot of these guys immediately started working for people other than Americans, working for interests other than the interest of the American people, you know, and those people who paid them are folks who would really rather that the United States not exist, or at least not interfere with their nefarious initiatives. Let's just call them that. And here's my prediction. There is more where that came from. If for no other reason that these were the top guys. There are bound to be many more at lower levels who worked on contracts for this money from foreign powers. Those guys are going to be liable under FARA as well. PR firms hired to smooth out public opinion for whatever those guys were up to. Under the September 2016 FARA prosecution guidelines, all that indicates that if you're doing PR or something to assist, you're probably going to need to register FARA as well. All of this is pretty dark for the GOP. It adds up to a U.S. political party that is, frankly, more foreign than it is American. Its money is foreign. Its paymasters are foreign. Its current president still owes millions to foreign powers. I cannot stand. And likely there is much more of the story.
to be discovered. Our second story of the PDB is right-wing terror group arrested for plot against Michigan governor. The League of Unfuckable Gentlemen, a.k.a. the Wolverine Watchmen, were arrested for plotting the kidnapping, trial, and possible execution of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer as part of their larger campaign to sink the United States into civil war. Not very nice. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel on last Thursday announced felony charges against seven members or, quote, associates of the Wolverine Unfuckable Watchmen, accusing them of making threats toward officials and supporting plans for terrorist acts. Court documents describe a, quote, anti-government, anti-law enforcement, militia, and we got to take out that militia thing because uh, it kind of refers to something that might be well-regulated by the states, and that ain't what this shit is, so... Um, (laughs) <laughs> and they call themselves an anti-government, anti-law enforcement militia, you know, because they want to get caught. Um, <laughs> so they recruited on social media since the fall of 2019. There's nothing that will, <laughs> it's just too much. They met in remote locations for, quote, field training exercises, uh, which I am sure the FBI and ATF take no notice of whatsoever. Guys, if you want your very own FBI file, like start some like Twitter or Bloop or whatever account and call yourself anti-government law enforcement militia and start recruiting. Use your private messages. If you've always wanted to meet a graduate of Quantico, that is the quickest way <laughs> to meet somebody who is a current employee of the FBI outside of trying to hire a contract killer, uh, of which 17 of the first 18 people you will come to will actually be active special agents with the FBI. Um, so that's how these assholes are. Uh, as of today, the men are being held without bail pending their trials in Michigan. Also today, it was revealed that their group may have also targeted Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Others have been arrested for these kinds of operations in recent months. Uh, There was a group called The Base that was uh, arrested uh, way earlier this year um, prior to a potential assault on a legislative session in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Morons, they made sure to conduct their tactical training exercises near Joint Base Andrews near Washington, D.C., because, you know, if you want to avoid the FBI and ATF, definitely stockpile ammo and practice where the president of the United States keeps his plane, because, you know, they don't they don't keep track of that area. I mean, just definitely, like, convert some guns into, like, full auto and practice near where the president of the United States keeps the airplane. They'll never find you such a good idea. Uh, In fact, anyone practicing in Wyoming, no, no, no. Go near an Air Force base. That is the best place to practice your, quote, tactical. They'll never see you coming. It'll be great. Please do. Uh, jokes aside, uh, because, you know, these people are stupid. Uh, and that's why they get caught. And who knows how long they've been caught. I believe this is a very coordinated operation to wrap these guys up so we're not fighting cells of these folks all over the place. Um There are several concerning aspects to this that jump out at me. Um, Most recently, you have DHS, Department of Homeland Security, political appointees who tried to stop reporting on this. Uh, They they tried to lobby the intelligence 
agency within the DHS, INA, Intelligence Analysis, uh, they tried to lobby against them reporting on right-wing terror groups in the United States in favor of Antifa that doesn't really exist. Not in this form. Um, This is not to say that DHS employees, of which there are many, many thousands and thousands, did not do their jobs and help warn the governors that, I don't know, there are people out there threatening to kill them, kidnap them, kidnap their family. Um, It's not to say that they didn't report on it, but what we know from a whistleblower recently um, that uh, Trump's political appointees tried to stop this, this very thing that now it's like, it's not just, well, what is a right-wing, uh, you know, violent uh, opposition extremist group? That's this. That's a bunch of dudes get together and they they case a governor's vacation house and look at ingress and egress to a building. You know, bad stuff. <laughs> you know, if you want to meet your local FBI, that's a good way to do it. Um, that's But that is where the rubber meets the road here. Guys trying to do this. Second thing that jumped out at me is, Obama got yelled at for noticing these movements. It's been going on a long time. And if you remember like uh, some 10 plus years ago, I think when Obama came out and was like, whoa, we've got a threat to the homeland because, you know, mostly we were thinking in the post 9-11 world, we're thinking of dudes with towels on their head or, you know, Allahu Akbar or whatnot. And it's like, no, no, we got a problem here with folks that want to kill government officials and the police and whatnot on U.S. soil who are Americans. And man... Obama's uh, DHS caught hell for talking about that when here it is. These are people that want to kill our governors. And the third thing that really jumps out, Roger Stone threatened this outcome specifically. It was a long time ago, uh, comparatively, I should, you know, should say uh, about four years ago from now, which of course feels like uh, three millennia. But um, Stone was on the Alex Jones show. And he said, if this election is stolen from Trump, cause it's all rigged. It's basically the same language they are using now because their goal on behalf of foreign powers is to make us democracy look illegitimate. So you got Roger Stone out there who, I mean, I can't tell this directly. I don't have the intercepts or payments or whatever, but dude seems like a Kremlin operative to me. Um, Stone's out there and he says, if, this election is stolen from Trump, America's going to turn into a bloodbath. Well, this is what that would look like, right? You got these freedom cells popping up, not just to shoot up malls, and I'm sure they would have done that, or movie theaters, or schools, or whatever, but to kill elected officials. Yep. So we're on the run-up to this election where, uh, you know, maybe that same group of people had been kept warm for four years uh, and tracked for four years. Maybe this is them being deployed. Luckily, we get to find out that they are idiots. Uh, As is often common with these groups, uh, apparently confidential human sources have helped law enforcement keep up as their movements are infiltrated or turned. So either they get somebody dressed up who wants to hang out with guys like that, they get recruited, or somebody who's been recruited gets a tap on the shoulder from law enforcement like, <clears throat> we're going to put you in jail. Uh, would you like to tell us what's going on here? And that can go on for years uh, with our very professional uh, and patriotic law enforcement agencies. They can, they can be watching these dudes before they deploy, and just as they start to get really rowdy, wrap them all up. Um, so that's some pretty good news. 
I think it's very likely that there's going to be a larger number of groups that get revealed and uh, they either get caught or disbanded uh, or maybe maybe just uh, taps on the shoulder. They get religion quick about this as long as they haven't gotten into the uh, casing out the governor's house uh, step yet. Uh, generally, it is a bad thing to plan violent insurrection on U.S. soil. And uh, with the role of foreign powers being revealed, I think it could very soon be a really bad thing. Our third story, Mike Flynn turns up in the Finson Files. Ah, Mike Flynn. Moscow Mike. The greatest phys ed teacher Rhode Island ever should have had. Mike, if you just stayed, you could have inspired an entire generation of Rhode Island students to be super fit throughout their life instead of doing what you did, which apparently you weren't on a good track for being very wise about. Nevertheless, you are a gift that keeps on giving to podcasts like this one. So Mike Flynn, 33-year intelligence career, ends up head of an agency, defense intelligence agency, very important. Then he leaves, gets fired by Obama, has dinner with Putin, brags about having digital soldiers attack the 2016 election, talks about transferring nuclear technology to American adversaries while he's sitting up there on the dice with uh, Trump just having been uh, inaugurated. And then he, uh, he, ex- he exchanges sexts with Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, lies to the FBI like a moron, gets caught, and oh, right, he's a paid foreign agent. Well... Uh, that's all throughout the news. That's throughout quite a bit of uh, the Mueller report. That's why Trump, uh, you know, go go easy on Mike Flynn. He's a good guy. Uh, You know, all that mob talk about Mike. uh, I think Trump knew, man, that guy's up to a lot of stuff. Maybe he knew lots about it. Maybe he didn't. But either way, Flynn has more than just his uh, flimsy 18 U.S. Code 1001 charges coming up. Uh, The FinCEN Files has produced a new project through BuzzFeed News, about how Bank of America filed SAR's suspicious activity reports to Treasury FinCEN, that's the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, about General Mike Flynn. Bottom line up front is that uh, Flynn was still taking major payments while under consideration by Trump to be Secretary of Goddamn Defense! Not even NSA, which is very bad, but SecDef. He was taking payments while that was happening. This story... I think I knew he was being paid. I didn't know when he was being paid. Uh, that's in there. So it gets crazy here. Um, Flynn was taking cash from Ekim Altekin. Oh, man, that one is hard to say. But uh, Turkish guy who works really close with Russia. But uh, Altekin was also charged with fair violations. I think Mike got a, a very easy deal uh, initially that he walked away from like a moron uh, for testifying against uptaken as a foreign agent on Russia, on U.S. soil here. Uh, that dude, his Flynn's partner there, who got him paid, is a real piece of work. Uh, in recent years, he's helped coordinate uh, Turkish lobbying in D.C. He's the head of Taika, the Turkish-American, uh, I think it's Turkish-American business 
T-A-I-K. And I can't remember what it stands for. Sorry, folks. It can't be, I can't get every detail, but it's Tyke. It turns up in the Farrah database all over the place. Anyhow, he's coordinating Turkish lobbying with this guy, Dmitry Zaikin, a Soviet-born former executive in Russian energy and mining companies who has also had dealings with Putin's government because, of course, if you're in energy and mining and you're Soviet-born, uh, you're dealing with Putin if you're screwing around in other countries. Um, so, Turkey's kind of partners with Russia, of course, uh, at this point. Uh, this is unusual arrangement for everyone in which Aptekin and Zaikin have been trying to do, you know, guide all the Turkish lobbying uh, on the ground in D.C. since about 2015. You know, it kind of almost looks like everything Turkish is sort of Russian. So, that's who Flynn was working for. And uh, then you get into the money transfers. Because uh, that's, man, that's that's the really good evidence in court. Like, did you take the money? Did it go from this bank account to that bank account on this day? Boom, gavel down, you're done. Uh, according to the Suspicious Activity Report uh, from the BuzzFeed article, the wire transfers from Abtekin took place between September 9th, 2016, so not long before the election was won, and November 14th, 2016, so he after Trump won, while Flynn was serving as an advisor to Donald Trump's campaign and then his transition. Um, court documents have alleged that Aptekin's firm, Inovo, was just a front and Flynn and his associates were being paid to work for the Turkish government, albeit the guy who was, um, who was partnered up with Putin. So, according to the Suspicious Activity Report, Bank of America decided to review the account of Flynn Intel Group after Trump fired Flynn on February 13th, 2017, Trump had said, if you remember, he took action because Flynn lied to Vice President Mike Pence um, about his contacts with then-Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, and a month later revealed in documents filed with the Justice Department that though he had never registered as a foreign agent, his lobbying work may have principally benefited the government of Turkey. Uh, and he later admitted to prosecutors that he had made false statements, and that's when he pleaded out to lying to the FBI and then went back on that like a moron. Anyhow, there's so much more about Moscow Mike coming out. You know, here's just another key detail that gets lost in those somewhat minor charges in D.C. District Court that they kick it up to the... Uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals, the three-judge panel meets, then it gets turned up to en banc with all the judges, and then they kick it back down to the D.C. court. That's just about lying, not the real stuff that he was lying about and everything connected to it. So when the real cases are ready, look out. Fourth story in the PDB, record early voting and some really unfortunate technical snafus. Let's start with the tech stuff. Uh, today, Tuesday, October 13th. Yeah, oopsie, somebody disconnected like the whole computer system in Virginia on the last day people could register to vote. I wonder how that happened. I'm sure that won't have lots of explanation required. Um, I'm sure there's more. That one just got revealed. So let's just talk about the general historic voter suppression going on. Uh, you may have seen videos of this online. Some people were waiting 11 hours in line to vote in Georgia. And that making people hang out all day thing, that is classic voter suppression because it makes everything a pain 
in the butt, especially when it's different in different socioeconomic neighborhoods, especially racial neighborhoods. By the way, you don't have to tell black folk about voter suppression. Every single one of them knows all the tricks from the literacy tests on up to the, you know, we're going to put the sheriff's cars out front uh, as you pull in to go vote. And, you know, you'll see signs that, you know, we're going to be collecting your late utility bills or whatever. I mean, God, it's, uh, we have some pretty shitty uh, history here in this country around that, but now we're spreading that out to lots of folks, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, they're, they're doing it legally. It, it, and we have a great team that is opposing it. I could not be more impressed with Mark Elias, uh, who I believe was general counsel for the general uh, democratic national, uh, committee and apparently does not own a, a casino in Macau or Hong Kong or, uh, uh, anything on the strip in Vegas. Uh, and his, his crew, um, uh, and they're known on, uh, on Twitter as democracy docket, uh, they have a website at democracydocket.com, and you can see all the cases they are winning. They are fighting back against, you know, dirty governors and secretaries of state trying to put uh, roadblocks in place, and they are rolling stuff back. And the list of the list of states and the number of cases they're winning—it's awesome, man. Uh, so the bad news is you have people they're having to wait 11 hours. The good news is, man, it's like only October 13th. People are so excited to get rid of these scumbags. They're like, I will wait for 11 hours on October 13th. I'll be back tomorrow because ain't going to be no fucking December (laughs) at this rate. And they're right. (laughs) So you got, you know, all these, uh, you got people who are willing to do this and nice people at Democracy Docket, uh, Mr. Mark Elias there, they are, they are litigating their butts off here. And I'm just looking at the state I live in, Missouri voter ID, state constitutional challenge to uh, Missouri's newly enacted, thanks assholes, uh, voter ID law. The law imposed new restrictions on voters who lacked photo ID and required them to execute an inaccurate and misleading affidavit. Uh, I believe, is that Jay Ashcroft, John Ashcroft's son? It's somebody in there. I don't know who started that, but that's Missouri. Texas, of course, you know, you got the governor... Uh, is trying to shut down uh, polling uh, locations there, and I think the governor's got something to do with the uh, the attorney general and the uh, west uh, the western district uh, U.S. attorney John Bash that we've covered on this podcast. So that's some dirty stuff. Just trying to keep people from voting. Uh, there's all sorts of of lawsuits that are being challenged. They're, the judges are up on the night. They're uh, they're up at night. It's on weekends. And Democracy Docket has cases in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Arizona, and those are just the swing states. <laughs> you know, although <laughs> it shows Alaska, Georgia, and Texas may be swing states in the Senate election this year. So just some fun stuff there. But, um, you know, there, there's really really good news in a sense. It sucks that we have to do this. It sucks that there are people that have been attacking this democracy from the point of view of the rule of law. That's terrible. But the fact that people are so resolute to start standing outside three weeks in advance for their rights that people are litigating their butts off to go, no, people get to vote. That is how this works. This is our democracy. And frankly, let's let's take this on our own shoulders, all of us as citizens. We got lazy, folks. It worked so good for so long, we didn't see the scumbags hiding out in the shadows who would love to steal it from us. We got lazy. We took our eye off the ball. 
People fought and died places. People marched and were, you know, hit with fire hoses and had attack dogs sent at them for these rights. They litigated past cases for these rights. And we took our eye off the ball. And now we're kind of trying to catch up after four years of a mobster. But uh, hopefully this is a lesson to us. And we teach our kids. And we write this down, maybe with a lot of uh, embarrassment and shame. Like, shit, sorry guys, we almost lost the Republic. But we didn't. But don't be like us and, and, and get this experience down. And, you know, because I don't ever want to worry about where I'm going to vote again. I'm not, I don't want to have to worry about whether some asshole in St. Petersburg set up a bit of software that we don't know about or that somebody got paid to install in somebody's vote machine. Um, it's a pain in the butt. You end up waiting outside for 11 hours, three weeks in advance of the election. We ain't got that kind of time. And it'll make it more legitimate if we know that the process is legitimate, which is what these same assholes wanted to take away from us. So, anyhow... Uh, I guess uh, the final lesson there is uh, good on everyone for all their hard work, keeping democracy, and let's not take our eye out the ball again. Thanks, guys. And now it is time for today in Criminal Doom, the section where I read more or less randomly from the happiest website in the world, justice.gov slash USAO for U.S. Attorney's Office's press releases. That is all the federal charges, plea deals, criminal informations, weeping uncontrollably under the tables in federal courts. That's the news. That's my favorite news. It's never not happy. So... Let's dive in. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, unlicensed New Jersey investment advisor charged with defrauding clients of more than $2 million. U.S. Attorney William McSwain announced that Alexander S. Rowland, 29, of Penns Grove, New Jersey, was charged by indictment with seven counts of mail fraud, 30 counts of wire fraud. Oh, he's an achiever. Uh... One count of bank fraud, one count of securities fraud, one count of investment advisor fraud, and two counts of money laundering related to a scam in which he purported to be an investment advisor and either stole or lost victims' money, resulting in total losses of more than $2 million. Hey, did you not find any puppies to kick? I, I mean, so that, was a, that was a hell of a list of, in, of uh, indictment charges. Criminal charges. That's, that's neat, dude. Good, good work. The indictment alleges that Roland, a, uh, a former warehouse operator, because, you know, somebody, you know, driving a forklift, I mean, who wouldn't invest $2 million with that guy, started an investment company in July 2016 that he incorporated in New Jersey called Roaring Investments Incorporated, which he operated out of his apartment. The defendant held himself out to potential investors as a licensed investment advisor who would invest their money in stocks, cryptocurrency, and promise them a minimum rate of 25% with potential returns of 50% or higher. Through these and other misrepresentations, Roland was able to dupe his victims into investing almost $3 million in roaring investments. And this is, this is the, uh, the happy part. Roland faces 835 years of prison with five years of supervised police or supervised release. 835 years of prison, five years of supervised release. I kind of want to just ask people at the U.S. Attorney's Office, like, do you all laugh when you file that and you're up towards a millennium? And you're like, okay, so over eight centuries, 
with five years to check on the guy so he's okay you know <laughs> you know is, is that like uh, rubbing some salt in the wound i don't know i don't know that many u.s attorneys i know a few uh, i just want to know if that part is fun so um out of uh houston department of justice Houston area physician and anesthesiologist sentenced to 84 months in prison for role in healthcare benefit scheme. A Houston area physician and anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist at two registered pain clinics, Texas Pain Solutions and Integra Medical Clinic, was sentenced today to seven years in prison for his role in fraudulently billing healthcare programs for at least $5 million in medical tests and procedures. And for his role in fraud that, that played into multiple patient deaths. So uh, we won't miss that guy in traffic. Okay. Uh, In the Eastern District of New York, former Long Island liquor distributor sentenced to 24 months in prison for defrauding investors in wine product featured on Shark Tank TV show. I would go further into this, but it already involves um, Central Islip, Long Island, and we already have, you know, a president from Queens who's from the reality TV show world. So I'm just going to kind of leave that there. (laughs) You know, you can kind of fill in the details of whatnot. It wasn't legit despite what was on TV and people got hurt. I mean, there's, you know, there's a parallel somewhere in there. Um, Let's see. The Northern District of Texas, Koppelman charged in $24 million PPP fraud. Yes. Trying to make money off the backs of an ailing economy because we have the plague uh, not very nice, and despite Bill Barr and all that he does, isn't it great to know that we're paying attention on the federal level? The line prosecutors, God bless you guys, are still tracking down scumbags. I still love this. A couple man who spent more than $17 million in PPP loans on lavish personal expenses has been charged with filing fraudulent loan applications, announced Acting Assistant Attorney General Brian C. Rabbit of the Justice Department's Criminal Division. Uh, A federal grand jury indicted Dinesh Saw, 55, on three counts of wire fraud, three counts of bank fraud, and one count of money laundering. Mr. Saw exploited this terrible pandemic for personal gain, and he should be held accountable to the American people for that behavior, said U.S. Attorney Aaron Neely Cox. COVID-19 has devastated the finances of hardworking business owners across the nation. PPP funds should be reserved for those who really need them to keep their companies afloat. We are committed to ensuring that Anyone that takes advantage of the system will be brought to justice. I have some questions about the mega churches and private schools that took money for this. I just do more there. So, and lest, at lest you think that the rule of law is over, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office, District of Connecticut, former Missouri resident sentenced to prison for defrauding dozens in odometer rollback scheme. I am such a dork with this stuff, guys, that I actually remember <laughs> in the, I believe, the Eastern District of Missouri, uh, somewhere in there, one of the, the the MOs on the U.S. Attorney's pages. I think I remember the, the odometer rollback scheme a while ago. Now, you know you've been doing this too long when you're like, oh, they're finally at sentencing phase, but hey, this is the life I have chosen and I find it entertaining. So, Wilfred J. Albanese, 50, formerly of Waterbury, Connecticut, and Blue Springs, Missouri, was sentenced today by U.S. District Judge Michael Pichet in Hartford to 42 months of imprisonment, followed by three years of supervised release for fraud and identity theft offenses stemming from the sale of numerous used vehicles with altered 
odometers. According to court documents and statements made in court between approximately August 2014 and 2015, Albanese, while residing in Missouri, sold approximately 43 vehicles with altered odometers to unsuspecting purchasers. As part of the scheme, Albanese purchased high mileage used vehicles and then used a variety of means to alter or reduce the mileage shown on the vehicle's odometers and other bad things. So... I just like going through those indictments and, uh, you know, plea deals and sentencing phases and all that, especially when you see somebody screwed somebody else over in 2014 or 15. Well, that's half a decade ago. So, you know, it gives us hope when somebody does something bad to us. The justice system is not very quick sometimes, but if somebody screwed you, maybe it can lessen the pain to think, that five or six years from now, they're going to be tearfully pleading out under a desk in federal court. And uh, that is why I relish today in criminal doom. Question time. It is time for question time, sponsored by At Game Theory Today, my private Twitter channel where you can hang out in what we call the lounge, ask questions, joke around. Uh, you can go to primosocial.com slash game theory today to join, rap with people, and uh, on a regular basis, ask questions. And so here are some of the questions submitted. They're all good. So what up, lounge? I'm talking to you. So we got Sarah, sketch with a smile, says, do you think enough U.S. Americans are sufficiently informed after all all these four to six years to ensure the traitors are brought to justice and adequately dispensed with. It seems like a huge amount of pressure must continue to be brought to bear against these reprobates. That's a really great question. I think four to six years has been really useful in letting people know that there are some bad folks who may have, you know, tried to appear normal, as in like elected officials and whatnot, and may have had something terrible up their sleeve. Uh, in general, though, I think no set of criminal charges need to be understood by the broader public. If there's anything going back to, uh, you know, today in Trader Doom and looking at uh, indictments and everything, everything to do with the legal system, you know, the details are super important. It's very complex and it's going on when none of us are paying attention to it. Look back at the odometer scheme thing. There's some dude figuring out how to roll back to make your 60,000 mile Subaru look like 40,000 for the next sucker to buy it, right? Um, that is happening while we're not even looking. You know, we did not have a popularity contest with whether we liked that U.S. Attorney's Office going after the odometer, odometer scumbags. Um, and while I think there's a whole lot more required, you know, of kind of education of the populace uh, when you're talking about taking down U.S. senators or presidents for criminal matters, um, generally these things aren't going to be understood. I don't think anyone understood... Uh, Watergate until a few years passed and, you know, you dug into it and you had all these, these books come out and tell-alls and, you know, we got to explore some of it. And, um, you know, there's a lot that's probably still classified, by the way, guys. And there's a whole bunch of, like, Nixon-era folks still around. So even with that example, you know, you don't really understand it before it's happening. And, uh, you know, there there is a bit of elitism uh, based in, in that, I don't think it's, I don't mean elitism in the bad way. I mean, there's an elect few who understand why certain things are important, why certain statutes are written. 
Um, and we really entrust, that's why we need integrity in those institutions because we need them. <laughs> we have to have them. Um, and uh, we can't do that job on our own. So is it enough to understand, uh, you know, four to six years, is that enough to ensure that people are brought to justice? Well, we're going to need Bill Barr out of there for the most part. Um, but, uh, you know, we may not need a popularity contest to make sure that statutes are enforced. Statutes are still being enforced. People are still pleading guilty. And I imagine this will accelerate. So great question. Full of Squirrels asks... Can we salt the earth with Jared Kushner's ground up and burned corset come January 21st? I don't have an answer to that. That's just the funniest fucking question possible. So <laughs> I'm, just, I don't even, I'm not even going to say yes. I'm just, can we salt the earth with Jared Kushner's ground up and burned corset? Mwah! Italian chef's finger kiss right there. <laughs> uh, Jen Griffey, Jennifer Griffin says, speaking of Nixon, Henry Kissinger, he seems involved in, in, in everything since forever, yet seldom mentioned. Any insight or analogies you can share? Well, first of all, you are thinking like a counterintelligence geek here. It's like, wait a minute, that dude's always everywhere. He's got a weird accent. What's up with that guy? That is perfect. That is exactly how you should think. Come to conclusions, go easy. But uh, how come that dude's everywhere? What's up with that? Um... You know, remember, he was uh, involved with Dmitry Simas, who I believe is involved in, in Nixon's administration as well, who is Russian-born. And uh, the Center for the National Interest, that's where uh, Kushner and all them, I, I forget if Kushner was wearing his corset that day, but when, that's all those guys met Sergei Kislyak with Trump over at the Mayflower Hotel. And yeah, that was a Henry Kissinger connection. And yeah, what's up with that guy? And isn't he like 1,100 years old? Um, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I just, I just love the question. I'm like, yeah, what's up there? The only thing I know is somewhere between, you know, supporting Chile. We will not embarrass Pinochet or whatever. Everything that, and he immediately, we open up China. Then he's friendly with different folks. And somehow he ends up with this bunch of Queens mobsters. I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I just know. Yeah. What's up with that? So I like the way you think. Mostly Water says, will we ever reclaim our innocence and will it take a whole generation? This is a great question. Um, in my work as a futurist, um, working with my mentor, Joe Coates, um, something we used to be aware of in terms of cognitive bias um, was rose-colored 2020 hindsight, um, looking back at a somehow overly rosy picture of the past as if it were more innocent. Like there's a lot of thinking about the fifties is somehow an innocent time. If you look back to it, that it was a time of war of percolating racial tension in the United States, geopolitical chaos everywhere else. It was not an innocent time. Most of the United States was sitting around and all, most of the guys of a certain age are sitting around drinking scotch looking off in the middle of the distance because uh, of PTSD for what they did in Belgium or wherever. Um, and you can go to any era, really. Um, did we ever have our innocence? Um, is a good question to ask. I would say we may have been on a bit of a vacation from history, as Dr. John Schindler has said before. And uh, maybe that gave us the wrong impression of things. 
that uh, somehow we we deserve not to have history continue on with all of its bloody messiness, uh, especially when the same kind of souls are out there who, if they see a bunch of free people flourishing, think, uh, what if I stole from them or like bent them to my will and uh, if I was their master or whatnot? Um, that's still going on. So, you know, humans are humans and whatnot. So will it take a whole generation? I don't want to reclaim anything. Um, except maybe the rule of law and the regular uh, prosecutions of things. But even then, I, I want to advance that. I want to progress. I, wanna, I think we, we need to learn from what happened here, and it'll take time. That will take a generation to really lay in um, the, the safeguards for these institutions. So that will take a whole generation. Um, whether we were innocent or will be innocent, I don't know. I kind of hope that our kids' generation remembers this just well enough, they're not scarred by it too bad, but remember that things can suck so they don't take their eye off the ball the way the, the current leaders must have in order to end up here. Uh, Lucene asks, have you seen this Atlantic story about the Oath Keepers right-wing group um, with potentially foreign sympathies infiltrating police departments? Yes, and I've heard about those guys a long time, and that's a problem. Uh, you know, you, you, we cannot police up people's belief systems and whatnot, but the folks that think that they somehow are going to violently overthrow institutions uh, and then they join institutions with any false pretenses, yeah, that's not going to work. We got to stop that. And uh, lastly, WR German, what are the chances Speaker Pelosi has personal contacts in the White House who constantly feed her info about the unfolding debacles? That is a great question. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know how something like this is really happening. Like, we've got this huge security problem in there where the normal chains of command, well, because Trump, you know, Russian agent in, in the White House and all that, problematic. The normal chains of command are weird, right? And you want to maintain the, your respect for the law and you want to maintain your respect for the institutions, but stuff's got to get done so that we can get these assholes out of there and or you know uh you know brought to justice if that's required so what is the speaker of the house who's part of the gang of eight so already has like super um you know security clearance on the nation's threats um you know does she have a human intelligence network within the white house i doubt it and if there is a human intelligence network within the white house uh i think politically you would have to keep that from touching her and i don't mean like it getting out i mean it even happening so that if it ever did get out it didn't look like some bullshit with the stasi in east germany and you know the 70s or something um you know how do they keep track of what's going on and how is that briefed i don't know i, I you know if the threats were all external I, I know how that would generally be briefed to those folks but internal is different. Um, I think if you're the president of the United States, you have access to the FBI and, uh, you know, for, for certain briefings, you have the department of Homeland security, but DHS has got its issues this week. Um, so if you're the speaker, how do you get briefed? I don't know. There be, there are going to be so many damn good books about this. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're going to have decades of content, movies, personal, remembrances, uh, tell-alls from so many different angles. Uh, this 
is a really special time. So, uh, so, uh, WR German, I'm, I'm still very interested. And that is question time. If you'd like to ask your own questions, be part of the, uh, the, the discussion. It's, uh, at game theory today, or, uh, the private version of my public feed. And you can get there at primosocial.com slash game theory today. So join. It's fun. And for this episode's positive active measures, Pam Fam, I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, I haven't got any particular piece of news. I'm just uh, giving a lot of thought these days about what we need for each other to get through this moment, the next few weeks. I think everything we need to focus on, in addition to voting, uh, making sure that we support... uh, the people litigating for our rights, calling, you know, our elected officials, assuming they haven't been bought off by foreign powers, hell, call anyhow, all the things to keep this this republic and keep it together. In addition to that, I just want to remind everyone that things are really tense right now, and uh, it's it's normal to bend a little under the emotional weight of that. I think uh, I don't really have any lecture or whatnot, but I think it's all about coming together as a nation, as a people, as human beings, and being tender with one another. I think there's going to be a lot of tendency just to, just to be stressed. And uh, this can't uh, stop uh, any particular problems that'll come up. But just a reminder that, um, you know, if you find yourself getting really ramped up and angry about something, just remember who the real enemies are out there. They're pretty obvious these days. And, uh, be gentle and also be gentle with yourself. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably pay attention to things pretty deeply. And this is all a stress. These events of the last several years are deeply fatiguing. So go easy on yourself. Go out for walks, stretch if you can. It's the wrong week to stop sniffing glue, as Airplane would say. And, uh, you know, Just be good to yourself and be good to other people. So that's uh, the positive active measure for the week. Thanks to all our sponsors and check out more of me. See me on Twitter at at Eric Garland, E-R-I-C-G-A-R-L-A-N-D and at Game Theory Today. Stay frosty, peeps, and thank you for listening.